Thank you for joining us on the Our New Normals podcast. I'm Kim Devine. Traumatic brain injury survivors finally have a platform for sharing their own personal stories, obstacles, and struggles. We'll also hear from the different medical professionals, such as physical, occupational, and speech therapists, doctors, nurses, and more. Let's join in now to the Our New Normals podcast. I'd like to thank you all for joining us today on the Our New Normals podcast. I'm your host and traumatic brain injury survivor, John Brother. Jason, I am a living TBI survivor, and I know firsthand the impact it had on me and my family. Tell us what happened and how long ago was your incident? It has been 20 years now, April 7th, after midnight, I had been driving home from a uh, friend's place after a long, long shift at work, or a long day of working. It has been just over 20 years. Early that morning, I had volunteered for frame and crew doing construction clean out or with a habitat for humanity working with them that morning so i had been really tired because then after i had done that i had i went on over to my evening job at the olive garden dishwashing over that bedaway so I had been working all day between the two jobs. I got done with that about 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, and had gone over to a buddy's house and watched a movie with them. It was an extremely long day. Do you think, Jason, that the fatigue of that day added to your accident? Definitely realized that that was most of the issue right there. I had driven on the, I was on Route 70 and had put on the autopilot on my Camaro, except I found out that Camaros don't have autopilot. It's Mm -hmm. cruise control. The exhaustion of my brain and body, I had fallen asleep. You know, Jason, which is very understandable given the fatigue. It's not a very uncommon story. How did the firefighters or responding police find you? I don't really have any idea. Don't have any recollection from what my parents and people had told me. I don't remember. All I know is that my vehicle was off the road into an old riverbed, which luckily it was a mostly dried up riverbed. I was not submerged in the water and did not drown through that. Definitely realized I should have worn my seatbelt, but I was so tired I didn't think of it. A lot of woulda, shoulda, couldas. How did your parents find out? They received a call at 5 a.m. on the 7th that I had gotten into a wreck and that they probably 
trauma center. They called and or told them it didn't look good, yet they needed to get on over there. He asked for information, but since I was 21, they couldn't give them any information sure. over the phone or whatever, because I was an adult. I grew up in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Intelligent student, I graduated in three years. So I could go to Ecuador as an exchange student. I graduated in three years so I could go to Ecuador not needing to pass any class or worry about my uh, scholastic whatnot. I had way too good a time in Ecuador. And that was, that was good. So then uh, when I came back, from that, I went on over to UNH. I did extremely well for the first semester, but due to Ecuador drinking age 18, I had indulged well down there with the cheap alcohol and all that good stuff. When I was back up at UNH after the first semester, I looked around and saw, hey, fraternities, I could get back to drinking underage up here, but yeah, and so continue the fun. My classes were, or my, yeah, my scholastic life was not doing so hot. After yeah, two semesters of doing that, my grades were not doing so hot. So before they booted me, I decided to join a buddy of mine who was going out to Missouri to a visit with his father and live life out there for a bit. I decided, yeah, you know what? I think it'd be best for me to go on out that way. I spent um, about eight months, I guess, out that way until the incident happened <laughs> and changed my life. Now, when you had your accident, what did the doctor say to your family and what was your prognosis? Both my lungs at first in the wreck, and I had drains in both lungs, ventilator, and I understood that I was alive, but hey, yeah, gotta love it. Huh? So I was in the hospital, and yeah, I was not doing so. Tell us, Jason, about the family support that you received. And how was everybody when they knew that you would be a lot different? My uh, family, my mom and dad and my sister went out that day after, well, that, that day when they got the call, they quickly got on a plane and went on out to Missouri. They went on out there and they did all they could where they ended up staying was in a, when in the ICU waiting room and they were had been there for well they ended up staying there for at least a month to just stay out there but the assemblies of God church they began to att to attend out there was gracious enough to just uh, connect them with folks and be there and to comfort them and provide them with what they could. One thing that I learned, Jason, especially when it came home, 
but even before then, was how important the church family really was for my wife and three children. And that sounds like the church once again has been involved. That is a good thing. So thank you to the Assemblies of God Church in Missouri, because I tell you, without the church, you can't rely on the government, that's for sure. Was there a lot of physical therapies that lied ahead on your road to recovery? Definitely, yeah. A lot of physical, good old OT, SD, PT, all them. But yeah, physical therapies, occupational therapy, speech therapy. I had a lot of therapies between the independence, well, unfortunately due to me being in a bed, I was not able to get out of the bed in it while I was in independence. Yeah, by the time I ended up kind of taking me, my family borrowed an RV from friends of ours. They were able to use that from independence and shuttle me from there, stopping it all along the way to different hospitals. Going or coming back east, and we ended up coming to Concord Hospital. So my final hospital stay there, but then I I ended up moving over to Crotchet Mountain Rehabilitation Center. How are you today, Jason, in comparison to what you were like before the incident? Before the incident, unfortunately. Due to the wreck and all that good stuff, my balance is off a bit. I'm regularly uh, stopped by police just wandering around the uh, around Keene, New Hampshire, and questioned, excuse me, sir, have you had anything to drink today? Yeah. No, no, that's just me. That's Jason Clark, yeah. Uh, and you all know about me, but they're just doing their job. They're wondering but. Anyone wandering around and people calling about, hey, there's somebody out who's a little drunk or whatnot, because I, I, I look like an intoxicated individual. Better than you used to be. But okay, I am better than I used to be, but yeah. But yeah. it's still still up there, But I, so I know all the police in Keene, New Hampshire. <laughs> Has there been any kind of awakening, if you will, or any advice you would like to give someone, Jason? Don't read a book by its cover or whatnot. Just yeah, get to know an individual before you uh, put a, a stereotype on them. Like, hey, that person's a little odd, but I, I look like a drunk individual, maybe, or I had been looking like a drunk individual, but that, that is not at all what the issue is. Get to know a person, or at least find out, hey, there may be something more to that. Yeah, sure, Jason. That's one of the things people, like even me speaking now, we used to be on Christian radio before this incident happened, and people think, you know, when they see me walk with a cane, they think I had a stroke. It was a fall that caused my brain injury, and that's why... I am the way that I am. I had a fall, 
and then I had a brain bleed. But a lot of the people, you're right, a lot of the people do judge. I think it's just human nature as much as I used to do it all the time when I was younger. But now I understand so much more. So, uh, actually, that is kind of one of the reasons of how I met my wife, because I was attending over Keene State. Yeah, I was going to the campus crusade, campus ministries, and all that. She was there as well, and she, she kind of noticed me, and after a few times of me regularly attending, she was just wondering, excuse me, sir, or excuse me, buddy, um, are, do you know where you are? Is this really where you want to be? She was thinking I was a drunk individual and just ended up over there, but after the three, four times, she was like, all right, I got to figure out what's going on. And so, yeah, I, she, uh, she questioned me, and I answered, and the rest is history, right? <laughs> <laughs> Funny, because we both know that God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> Jason, I would like to thank you for your transparency, because one of the things about this ministry, we do yeah. not fluff people up, we do not cover things up, we're all about transparency. And if there was a reason that people would be helped by by talking about what might have led to something, then that's been very helpful. You know God as well as I do, and so does your father. I am very honored, Jason, that you took the time to be as transparent as you have been. And I know your accident has affected you personally. So thank you, Jason. You can learn more about John's incredible journey by visiting his website at gracefromabove.org. That's gracefromabove.org. See how a divine touch of God inspired him to write his book, Grace, the e-book, Does God Really Exist?, and how this podcast was born. I'm Kim Devine. Please join us here every Tuesday and Wednesday for another edition of the Our New Normals podcast.